through talking about faith in the fire, and uh, it's been an awesome series, and uh, I want you to look at verse 3 here, and uh, I'm going to have you underline some things in your Bible if you're willing to do that or make some notes. Um, Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. Underline the word living hope. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, underline the word through faith, words through faith, if you would, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, if you'd underline the words greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved or saddened by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. I want you to underline those words, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And I'm going to have you underline those words right there. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, or make notes about them. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I know that's a lot to underline, um, but uh, I believe in a marked up Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can write in, put that one away on a shelf somewhere and get you one you can write in, okay? And uh, can somebody turn these backlights on for me here too? I don't know why they, they just must not have come in. That'll bother me. So I know nobody's sitting there, but it'll bother me. So I want to talk to you today about hope and about choosing joy, about hope, and about choosing joy in your life. What hope is, how hope is applied to our lives, where hope fits in. And it was interesting this last week, I was having a discussion with someone, and they're believing God for a miracle in their family. They got a family situation that's really bad, and and uh, um, and so they were just like, you know, Pastor, what do you do when you're believing God and it looks like everything's going the wrong direction. It just looks like it's getting worse. What do you do? What do you do when you're believing God and, and you're, you're looking at a circumstance and you're, you're quoting the Word of God? And this is a person I know very well, so I know that they're a disciple. They read their Bible. They pray. They're quoting scriptures over this situation that they're dealing with. They said, well, what do you do? How do you deal with that? Well, I said, well, that's a question that most believers ask is what do you do? She said, "What?" and then this person said to me, what do you and Sharon do whenever it looks like everything isn't working? And I said, and I, this was my response back to her, and, and, uh, and so I'm going to tell you because I believe this was a prophetic word. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes out in the simplest things that you say. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be in a church service with a thus saith the Lord, okay? You know, it doesn't have to be spooky. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit isn't spooky? Just Christians are. Right? 
we knew a guy back in the day, he would stand up and go, hold on, I have a word from the Lord, I'm leaving, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> then he'd start quoting some prophecy deal, and then he'd go, well, what did I say? Well, obviously he doesn't understand anything about prophecy because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. And so if you're prophesying, you know exactly what you're saying. Amen. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come down, take control of you, and you're out of here. He needs, he's going to work through you. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. So I said, well, you know, what do you and Sharon do? And I said, well, I tell you, here's the deal. And we, Sharon and I are people of the word. If you know us, uh, and you should know us as your pastors, we're people that we study the word, we pray the word, we believe the word, we quote the word, we stand on the word. But one of the difficulties that we can deal with as a believer, and this is what I was sharing with this individual is, is that we're spending so much time working on our faith that we forget about our hope. See, hope is the expectation that we have. And that's really what the enemy wants to do is to steal your expectation. He'll pound the snot out of your faith. But what he's really after is your hope. And I'll explain this in a minute, because he knows that once he takes your hope, he's one step from taking the love out of your life, your love for God. A believer without expectation is a believer that's lost and aimless in this world. Without hope, and the Bible says that eventually they end up without God. The devil does not want, the devil pounds our faith. The Bible teaches that in Ephesians chapter 6. It says that, look, the shield of faith is given to us to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. To everything the enemy tries to send against you, your faith is to be putting out that, is to be catching that and stopping that and curtailing that. And that is absolutely true. But you, we have to understand as believers that faith is tied directly to our hope. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, if you're making notes, you can just go ahead and write that down. But it says, now faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. So it is my faith that gives substance to my hope. What is my anticipation? See, if I live if, as a Christian, if I get into a place in my life where I'm quoting Scripture, but I have no anticipation of victory, then guess what? I'm a defeated Christian. Because I have no joy. Because you cannot choose joy without hope. You can't choose to be joyful without hope. Now look, let me just make it plain. When you all of a sudden now are standing on the Scriptures and saying, I'm believing God, and yet when you look at the circumstance, you're discouraged, you're depressed, and you don't see any way for it to change, you have lost your hope. You've lost your hope. And what hope says to us is that, look, the power of hope is, is that we have a confident expectation. We have a confident expectation of what God has promised. So not only do I believe what God has promised, but I have a confident expectation. Expectation of what God has promised. And listen to this. And the strength of that, the strength of that is rooted deep in God's faithfulness in my life, or in our lives, I should say. In God's faithfulness in our lives. Now, hope is something that exists for all people. We're created with the capacity for that. But without God, natural hope is a wish that is based off the strength of a person's desire. 
If I want it bad enough, I'll get it. So uh, what happens is, is that that kind of hope is built totally off of the individual, not off of God's faithfulness. See, when you and I start wondering where God is, why God isn't moving, why things aren't changing, why things are getting bad, what we are really doing, and please just, just take this for what it's worth, what we are really doing is questioning God's faithfulness. Does God really care? Is God really doing anything? Is God going to help me? Pastor, thank you. That was, that was really good. See, the joyful anticipation of good coming to my life is what hope is. And listen to this. Hope attracts what it anticipates. Hope attracts what it anticipates. What do you anticipate happening? So this person was like, well, well, okay, fine. All right, so that's what you and Sharon do. And so what do you do? I mean, come on. I mean, make it plain for me, Pastor. How do you deal with that? And I said, well, here's what we do. We make sure to look at every place in our lives where God has been faithful. And we also look at where God has been faithful in other people's lives in the specific area we're believing for. God's not a respecter of persons. Say that with me. God is not a respecter of persons. Let me say it again with me. God is not a respecter of persons. Okay? So if Brad over here is believing God for a physical healing in his body. Let's, and, you know, we know this is not true with Brad, but let's say that Brad was dealing with lung cancer in his body. He believes God and is healed, okay? And then 10 years down the road, I'm dealing with lung cancer, all right? His testimony gives me hope, all right? His testimony gives me hope because I see that if God did it for him, then God is faithful to do that for me. And I think what happens for us as Christians sometimes is, is that we're believing, but we hope that God will do it. But hope is anticipation. Hope is not wishing that God would do it. Hope is that I know God's going to do this. I'm confident God's going to do this. All right? So what happens in our lives is that the enemy continues to work circumstantially through our lives, in our lives, to say, it ain't working. It is not happening. Nothing's getting better. Nothing is going to change. Everything is bad. And our faith comes under attack in that. But what the enemy is really after is he's after to take your anticipation. And so what we, what we come up with is, is things like we'll say, well, someday God will heal me. And then that turns into maybe God will heal me which is one step away from, I don't know why God hasn't healed me, right? And look, if you're saying any of those things, I'm not saying that to, to, to be mean. I'm saying that because that's what we deal with as Christians. You know, if you know me, you know I'm a, just a plain old, I'm just plain simple preacher. I'm not, I could be real deep, but most of you wouldn't care because you don't live there. You don't live in the deep. Hey, are you listening to me? You don't live in the deep stuff. You live in, you de, you live in the reality of life. And that's where I want to help you at. I want to help you get through that. So what do we do? We realize that our hope is what attract is what our hope attracts what we are anticipating. Our hope attracts. So when we look at these passages, you know, we see these words coming up consistently here. Uh, we see that, look, it talks about that he has begotten us again to a living hope that 
the, the, the reality of talking about that faith, that you and I, that we're going through these trials of faith. But then he says these words to these guys. He says, but you're greatly rejoicing. Now, how in the world do you greatly rejoice whenever your faith is under attack? Because you anticipate something better than what you have. Now, if you read this passage, and this is, this is where this gets really powerful. The believer's hope is heaven. That's the believer's hope. The believer's hope is heaven. You and I anticipate heaven. We anticipate being with the Lord forever in heaven. That's the believer's That's what he said right there. Isn't that what he said? Look at verse, um, look at verse 6. Um, excuse me, look at verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 5. You're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's not talking about that you're saved now, even though you are. He's talking about that end salvation. He's talking about when you stand before your maker, your creator, when you stand before your God. See, if the believer has not put their hope in eternity, then what we will do is we will put our hope in the temporal. If we don't put our hope in eternity. Now, I use my faith for the temporal. My faith is for the temporal. My faith is for every day. My faith is what I'm believing God for. My faith is what I'm standing for. But my hope is this, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that I have a place in heaven with God. And no matter what I face in this life, I always anticipate something better. I mean, you take those early Christians and what they went through. Look, you tell me how much, how much joy you can have of facing a fire that they're going to burn your family in. Or how much joy you can have when, they, when you know that today you're on the lion's menu. But those believers rejoiced because they anticipated by hope something greater that was not temporal. See, when you and I begin to put our hope in the temporary, and everything here is temporary. It, as the Bible says, it is all subject to change. Think of how, not being mean to you, but think of how fickle you are. You're subject to change, right? I mean, like you could have yesterday was a totally rocking, awesome day, man. You were just like, I'm on top of the world. The devil's defeated. I'm a victorious Christian. And you got up this morning, and it's the same you. And you're like, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm telling you, my life is a mess. And it just, I'm just, I, I'm just so tired, and I'm so weary, and I'm just so frustrated. And what changed overnight? You did. The world didn't change. You changed, because the world, you and I, part of this world, we are temporary, physically temporary, and our emotions are temporary, and this life is temporary, and so we do not put our hope in what is temporary. We use our faith to change what is temporary. We do. We say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and not doubt in our heart. That's something temporary. Obviously, even mountains are temporary. Right? Sickness and disease is temporary. It's temporary. 
I mean, look, and I'm, I'm, not saying that this is, I'm not saying that this is what would happen, but if you had sickness and disease and eventually your life was robbed from you from that sickness and disease, it still should never steal your hope that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that you'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ and that God is a healer. And, and you know, I, I, and I've said this before from the pulpit, I'll say it again. If Richard Jolliffe, he's not going to, but if he fell over dead from, from something he was believing God for, don't you dare say God doesn't heal because you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm wrestling with. And look, you don't build your faith off Richard Jolliffe. Your faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness and faithfulness. Amen. You don't build it off of me. That's where we get in more trouble in the church because we start building our faith off other people. We're encouraged and we grow anticipatory because we see what God can do in a believer's life. Amen. We hear that, you know, I, Sharon and I, we're big Dave Ramsey fans. We get encouraged when we hear people say, we were $150,000 in debt in 10 months. We're debt free. What does that say? It's possible. It is possible. You're not shouting very good. It's possible. You say, well, pastor, you need to tell us how to do that. <laughs> we'll be holding a Dave Ramsey class, and we'll get you guys in that. But look, it, because it is possible. It is possible. You could be $50,000. I'm, I'm not preaching on this today, but if you could be $50,000 in credit card debt, 100000 in on your house, and if you would do the things that Dave Ramsey teaches in his, in his process, that within just a few years, you could be totally debt-free. And all your money could be going towards making you a millionaire by the time you retire. Shandai and three hikamos. And yeah, amen. Well, Pastor, I, that works for you because... Well, you know, because uh, you're tall. <laughs> I know lots of tall people living defeated. That works for you because you're in shape. I know lots of people that are living defeated lives that are in shape. Here's what happens is, is that you have hope. You anticipate that it can change. It might not change 180 degrees. But look, progress is progress. Two degrees is something. Amen? That's what Dave teaches us. You know, he tells us, look, when you cut those credit cards up and you pay one off, you, you celebrate. You, pay, you paid that off, man. You snowballed that, that thing gone. Glory to God. Give a shout. Hallelujah. I remember for Sharon and I, I don't know why I'm getting on this, but I remember for Sharon and I, when we actually had $1,000 in our emergency fund, that was our first, that's the first goal that you fulfill. And we had put a thousand, we didn't, I mean, we, we, it didn't even take long, did it? We started believing God, we started sowing, and we started saving and budgeting. And when we did that, all of a sudden we put $1,000 in our, our fund. And I, I can't tell you the feeling of a person that has lived their whole life pulling, robbing Peter to pay Paul to be able to take care of emergencies. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Or is that too old a phrase? No, look, look. Well, we just pull money out of the electric bill, pull it out of the gas bill, pull it out of the food bill, pull it out of something else, or not pay something so that we could pay for the water heater that just blew, burned up, right? And I remember that right after we got that $1,000, guess what happened? Water heater went out. 
And Sharon and I, we looked at each other and we just went, you know what? Praise the Lord. We got the money to pay for that. So we paid for that. And then our next goal was to put a make sure we had $1,000 back in that emergency fund. Right. See, the, I'm telling you that because can you anticipate something better than what you have? The enemy is after you attacking your faith. This is what they were dealing with. Because he knows if he gets your faith, he'll rob your hope. And if he robs your hope, he got your joy. He got your joy. You're not rejoicing anymore. And rejoicing means that you're making the choice to joy. You're rejoicing. You're taking something that's in you and you are rejoicing over it. And so you... I'm not talking about making up something. I'm talking about, you know, just like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start laughing until I feel better. Or I, and, and you know, there are people that teach that. That's fine. But I'm talking about, look, you really do have something to rejoice about because you're anticipating something better. Something better. Hope attracts what it anticipates. Our hope is anchored in eternity, always, because that is our most secure, that is something we know because Jesus Christ has, is seated at the right hand of the Father and has secured our eternity through all of His works. He sat down at the right hand of God. And so what we know in our lives, you say, well, Pastor, are you preaching eternal security? I'm preaching eternal security for those who want to live right and do right for God. I'm telling you, there's nothing in this life that can take away your salvation but you. Nothing that can take it away. Without doubt, I know that when I die, I will be with the Lord. I have no doubt about it. Amen. I forget that sometimes. You know, when I'm on an airplane and the plane is going all over the place and I'm like, what in the world? This feels, there's been a few times that I thought, this is, this Lord. But then I remember, now watch how this changes things. I'm on that airplane, you know, and, and it's rocking and shaking and, you know, the, the baggage stuff starting to fall because it's shaking so bad and people are freaking out and the Catholics are rubbing their crucifixes. And I mean, all, look, it all, you know, I see all the stuff going on and, and, and I get it. But see, here's what happens. When I'm sitting on that airplane and it's rocking all over the place and I go, well, Lord, I know that in my heart that if this is it, that I'll be with you forever. But it doesn't stop there. That's my anticipation. But Lord, also now, because I just reminded myself about that, I remember that there are angels that are here to take charge and keep me in all my ways. And so, Lord Jesus, right now in the name of Jesus, as you have sent the angels as ministering spirits, according to Hebrews chapter 1, I say over this airplane, there are angels round about it, Lord. And right now, I believe whatever the problem is, whatever's going on, you're in the cockpit. Amen. You're in the tower. You're on the plane. You're around the plane. You're here with me. And no matter what, Lord God, I believe your angels are here protecting me in all my ways. See, when the church where we really screwed up on that was is that we started talking about eternity, but we didn't realize that where our hope is, that eternal hope that we have should affect everything in our temporary life that we're responding back to these temporal issues that we have. You know, when a financial crisis hits, that we don't look at it and go, well, I'm done. Because see, when you hit a financial crisis in your life, the next thing the enemy is going to bring is, not that you failed financially, but that you're a failure. 
Because it's not going to remain just about what happened. Now it's going to dive to the next level, and that is to undermine who you are, what you have, and what you can do to say, look, you're a failure. People are going to look down on you. You're not successful because you made bad decisions, and you can't ever be successful because nobody will ever see you, and you will never see you as a successful person because you failed. Hope is anchored in eternity through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said, here, look, rejoice in this last part. Rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You receive the end of your faith. The faith works because you're rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay, I got to stop, but I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 12, or 13, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll wrap up. Are you getting anything out of this? Good, because I am. I guess my own message should encourage me too, right? All right. You know this passage. Probably right up there next to John 3.16 is being quoted. Verse 13. And now abides what? Faith, hope, and love. Right? Or charity in the King James. Faith. Say it with me. Faith, hope, and love. And then how does he finish it? The greatest is what? The greatest is love. Now, the word greatest there, you know what we do is is that we put like a greater than sign. But what it's saying in the actual Greek text is the larger portion is life, is love, excuse me. The largest, the biggest, okay? It's not just talking about, you know, like when we say that something is great, that it's big, that's a big thing, all right? So we're saying that the biggest of these, the largest of these, the largest portion of these is love, okay? Now watch this. If love is first, as you're looking at this verse, if love is first, then in the progression of what is being said here, the next one before it would naturally be what is second most important, which is hope which would be fueled by what is third greatest, which is faith. Now, we're a Word of Faith church, and we put a lot of emphasis on faith. And, I, and absolutely, we need to, because faith, you know, it's by faith, we're believing God through faith. But it is our love, it is love that is the greater portion because of hope that feeds into our hope which is our anticipation, because we know God is faithful. See, when it all comes down to it, truthfully, when we start questioning God, just being flat out honest with you, when we're questioning God, where are you? Why didn't you do anything? We're asking God, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? Do you really care about what's going on in my life right now? And Part of the dilemma that we're dealing with, especially in our, this is in our era, our generation, those of us that are older, we grew up in a generation where we didn't talk so much about how God loved us, we talked more about how much we loved God. Now think of how that changes things. Our generation, my generation, the early word of faith, charismatic, we were willing to sacrifice anything because we loved God. 
See, worship wasn't a problem for us because we loved God. And we would do anything. Some of us even said, Lord, I'll go to the ends of the earth. I'll give my life for you because, Lord, I love you. Now, what's happened is, because we've spent more time in our generations now talking about the love of God and how much God loves us, that now we're in a place in our lives where we're not focused on us loving God. Remember when Jesus, when the guy came to Jesus and he said, hey, could you tell me the two great commandments? Well, he didn't say the first is to know that God loves you. He said the first is, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And, and then he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor even as you love yourself. Which you cannot love your neighbor unless you love yourself. And you cannot love yourself unless you love God. So well, he's telling me I don't love God. That isn't what I said. But when our prayer becomes more about, Lord, why aren't you doing my will? Why aren't you doing what I want when I want it done? We have misplaced our affection. We have misplaced our affection. And I maybe am opening a can of worms, but that's okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. So what I, want you to, what I want you to grab hold of out of that is this. That, look, the believer prays and says, Lord, your will be done in my life. I love you, Lord, no matter what. No matter what. I mean, okay, so when I stood up to confess my love for Sharon, I didn't say, I have you to love and to cherish, to have and to hold until death do us part, or... or you don't meet my sexual needs, or I don't like your attitude, or you don't keep the house clean enough, or you're not as good a cook as my Aunt Donna. Right? No, the, the commitment, what kind of crappy commitment is that? Well, what kind of crappy commitment have you made to the Lord? Well, I love you, Lord, as long as you do everything I say, but the minute you're not doing what I say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to really question whether you even care about me. Wow. What do you anticipate? Because what you anticipate is what you're drawing to you. Listen, I'm going to just lay it out to you. God loves you so deeply, he laid down his life for you. If that doesn't say enough to you, then we got a problem we got a big problem, amen? You're wondering whether God wants to heal you, whether God wants to set you free, whether God wants to deliver you from whatever things you're dealing with, or God wants to help your future. If you're, if you're wondering about all of that, here's where, you, here's where you secure it. You owed a debt you couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. You needed someone to take away your sins. Now you can sing a brand new song only because of what he did for you. And if our love is not settled in that, then our love is settled off circumstance. And the minute you start settling your love off of circumstance, you will be depressed, discouraged, and agonized. And the enemy's got you right where he wants you. Because your faith won't work. And I'll tell you why it won't. And i got to stop, I promise. I promise I was going to stop. Because Galatians chapter 5 tells you that faith works by love. Faith works by love.
So I want you to stand with me. Maybe that'll help me stop. Because I just am scratching around on this right now. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. The biggest thing is love. Absolutely. Because if we can't settle that, our hope can't be anticipating very much. Do you, I'm not asking you to respond to me, do you love God? Do you love him enough that you would do what Jesus said? Luke 9, 23. If any man will follow me, let him deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow after me. These aren't my words. I'm just in sales, not in management. If you're going to follow me, you want to be my follower, then here's what I need you to do. I need you to stop putting you first. I need you to take up the cross and follow after me. Follow after me. That's the love that we're to have for God, no matter what. So close your eyes with me right now. What are you wrestling with in your life right now? What are you wrestling with? Unanswered prayer. Things that you're believing for. Things that you've prayed. Things you've asked God to do and you haven't even seen anything change yet. You're wondering now today, does God, is God going to do that? Is that? And you have scripture that you're standing on. But see what's happened in that midst of that is, is that you've lost your hope. You're not anticipating that's why you can't, you're struggling to have joy. But here's what God would say to you today. If you'll choose me, if you'll choose what I have settled in heaven for you, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. If you'll come after me if you'll follow after me. And uh, so I'm just going to ask you if there's something that you need to settle before the Lord right now, that you settle that. And I don't care how you settle it. You can settle it standing. You can settle it kneeling at your chair. You can settle it here at the altar. We're not going to play any music. We're not going to make this a big, a big thing here. I just, look, I just know that there are points in our lives where we have to come back to, I, I'm, you know what? I've been complaining a lot. I've let my, I've let, I've let my love slip here. Uh, I'm putting more trust in my circumstances than I am in the faithfulness of God. And I just want to invite you, if you want to come to the altar, you can do it right now. If you want to kneel at your, uh, as some are doing right now, you can kneel here uh, at your seat um, or you can uh, just where you're at. But I just, I feel in my spirit before we do anything else here today, that we need to give you this opportunity. Um, Father, thank you. I feel the Holy Spirit is dealing with some of us here. It's just laying it bare. Laying our hearts bare. Do I love God more than I love me? Thank you, Father. 
Hallelujah, Jesus.